Good morning. It's good to be here today, right? Yeah, I got a good amen. You guys are a lot more awake than the first service this morning. We had to get them really jump-started today. I asked them if they got some of their medications wrong last night, and it had an effect on them. And we were going to have to talk to their doctors to make sure uh, everything was sorted out with them right, because, man, they were, just, uh, they were just asleep this morning. So we got them finally pumped up, and we ended on a high note. Praise the Lord. So you guys are going to have to uh, just be there, right? Hey, before we get into the message this morning, um, I want to take a minute. I don't want to take too long, but I do want to take a minute because I think it's important. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are happening right now in our country um, that um, you've all seen the news, right? There's no one that's been hiding under the rock. We've, we've, we've seen what's been transpiring over the last couple of weeks in our nation. We saw what happened in Dallas. Um, and, and even last night, there was some, some reports of uh, some, some issues in, in various cities around the country. And I think Minneapolis uh, maybe saw the, the, the brunt of, of some of the, the things that were going on last night of more clashes between the, the police and, and some citizens and things of that nature. And, you know, the Bible talks about unity more than it talks about anything else. And it is so vastly important to God that we are unified. Whether it's culture, whether it's community, whether it's church, it doesn't matter what the context of life is that we're talking about. God wants unity from his people. That's what he calls us to. And the enemy, we know that he comes to to kill, to steal, and destroy, the Bible says. But the way that he does that so often is by putting wedges in us, dividing us and making us fight against ourselves, whether that's spiritually, physically, emotionally. Again, no matter what we're talking about in life, this is the attack that the enemy so often uses, and he does it so well, and we fall for it every time. And I I don't want to get overtly political this morning and turn this into an RNC meeting or something like that, okay? That's not what we're here to do. But what I do believe that we have a responsibility as a church is that we have a responsibility to pray and to pray for our leadership, that there's wisdom, that there's guidance, and that we have a responsibility to pray for unity in our country. Because I saw a headline in CNN this morning as I was getting ready for church, and and this is what it said. It said, who can heal America? And I was like, man, we got the answer right here. Okay? We We can heal it. But the problem is, is that many of us that sit in church on a Sunday morning would rather click share on Facebook of some maybe half true news story or give our political opinion about what did or transpire or become judge and jury of all kinds of stuff. When in fact, what we should do is put the phone down and get on our knees and pray that God would give us direction, that God would give us wisdom, and that God would give us unity. Because I promise you this, Facebook ain't going to solve anything. Facebook isn't going to fix the racial tensions in this country right now. The people on TV certainly aren't going to fix it because they're helping make it worse. What it's going to take is the church of Jesus Christ to be the church, to be the bride of Christ, to speak unity and love and mercy and grace into the communities in which we're called. And if we would stop clicking like and stop clicking share and all the other things that, that are captivating our attention today, And that we would just begin to be a people who would pray and begin to be a people who would stand up in our community and lead the way we could see change. So here's the rule. If you're not willing to pray for your country, for your leadership, for the the tensions that exist right now in our great land, if you're not willing to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ, then you don't have any platform to complain about anything. Because you are now part of the problem. That's not comfortable this morning, but I don't care. I'm not here to make you comfortable. 
God didn't call me to be your gigantic spiritual lazy boy. Until the first service, I wear a size 14 shoes, and God gave me those for a reason. So we're going to put those in action this morning a little bit. I'm sorry about it in advance. But here's the thing. We've got to be a people who are willing to pray, who are willing to stand up, and who are, who are, are willing to be counted for. So what we're going to do this morning, before we get into anything else, and before we do anything else this morning, we're going to pray for unity. We're going to pray for peace. We're going to pray for the families, all of the families that have lost someone. Because that's tragic. So if you would, let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that we have the ability to gather in this place. God, that we have the ability to come here together to, to, to worship you, to declare your name, and to make you known. And God, right now, our, our country is at a crossroads. There are tensions around every corner. There, there are, 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 are new tensions that are being resurrected, Lord, from the past. And, and God, we just cannot seem to find our way. And, and even the media is asking, Lord, who can fix this mess that we've created? And God, we know the answer. We know that it's only through the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ through his shed blood that can change hearts and that can change lives. And God, this morning we ask, Lord, that there would be churches and that there would be pastors that would follow our lead this morning, God, as we declare to, to reclaim this community for you. God, that we're going to see relationships restored. God, that we're going to see families put back together. Lord, that we're going to see lives resurrected, God, and, 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 and set on the path for the purpose that you have for them. God, we pray, Lord, that other churches would follow that lead. And that, God, that we would begin to lead our country again into the ways of your righteousness, into the ways of your grace, and, Lord, into the ways of your mercy. Father God, for the families of those police officers in Dallas, Texas, Lord, and around the country uh, over the last few days that have been affected by, by the violence that has happened, God, we speak the peace that passes all understanding into their family. God, we ask that your love and that your mercy, God, in those communities would surround those people. God, and that they would, Lord, that they would feel the love, Lord, that they would feel, God, that they are, are appreciated, God. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, that as they grieve, Lord, that you would send people there to comfort them, and that, God, that your presence would be around them, Lord. And God, for, for those others, Lord, that uh, people around the nation, Lord, that have, that have lost a loved one, Lord, and, and that they were, their lives were taken short at, 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 uh, at difficult times. God, we, we're not judge and jury, and God, we don't know that situation, Lord, but you do know that situation, and you know that person because you created them. And God, we ask, Lord, that you would speak peace. Lord, and we would, we would ask, Lord, that, that you would let their families raise up God, and lead us, Lord, that churches around this country, Lord, would begin to stand up and would begin to lead us to the way to bring us back to a place of unity and to a peace again. God, we need you more than ever. And God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, in just touching on this, um, most of you know that we just, we just came here from, from Texas. And... Um, we like country music, and that might be a shock to you. Yes, the preacher likes country music. I just told you I'm from Texas. Those two things go hand in hand. And my dog's name is Waylon, so if you didn't put two and two together, I can't really help you out a whole lot. So there's this, there's this country singer that my kids and I like to listen to that's on the Texas scene. It's not a radio kind of guy. And all the years we lived in Texas, I, I kept wanting to go and to hear him perform live, and it just never worked out, you know? Sad. But lo and behold, he played in Springfield last night, and I was there! <laughs> and it was awesome. My kids had a ball, and so at the end of the show... We got to go, and my kids got to meet him, and they think he's like the greatest thing ever, you know. And so he signs ball caps and, and all that fun stuff, and, 
And there were these, these, these ladies and these, and these guys, and they were dressed up. They all had on ties and, and, and dresses. And we were like, man, what are, what are these, what's going on with these people? And they were all around him. And come to find out, they were all police officers and their families from St. Louis, Chicago, Springfield, Lincoln, all over. And he had invited them all to come to the show. And so our family saw this amazing divine opportunity. And we gathered all those families together, those police officers. And me and my wife and my two boys, we prayed. And we asked them, could we pray for them? And of course, they they all said yes. See, people will tell you today that, oh, that's not politically correct. You can't do that. People don't like that. Yes, they do. Stop listening to what people tell you on TV. They're dumb. (laughs) You know that old adage they say that those who can't do teach? That's not true. Those who are dumb are on TV. (laughs) That's the new one. You can quote me on that if you want to. People still appreciate prayer. So we gathered these families together and we prayed for them and we prayed for protection over them and we prayed for them and we thanked them for what they did. And every single one of them had tears in their eyes and come to find out one of the officers that we prayed for, it was a St. Louis police officer and he was shot three times a couple of years ago after all the Ferguson stuff that happened. And his wife, just the tears rolling down her face, said, you have no idea how much this means to me. And I don't tell you that this morning to brag. I was talking about the country show and how much fun that was. That's why I went there. I didn't go there to do anything like that. But the thing is, and this kind of amazingly fits into what the message was about this morning, about submission, how we have to serve where God places us. Now, I thought I was going to have a good time last night, and I did have a good time last night. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people that would tell you, I can't believe a preacher went to a country and western show. I can't believe that you have a problem that the preacher went to the country and western show. <laughs> I like music too. People think we sit at home all day and pull out the hymn book. And kids, what hymn shall we sing today? We listen to the radio too sometimes. And people tell you, well, God's not within 100 miles of that place. I tell you, you're wrong. You know how I know? Because my family ministered to about 25 police officers last night in their time of need. And here's the thing. I wanted to see that guy a hundred times in Texas and God never let it work out. Nobody would ever watch my Rugrats. (laughs) But guess what? God moved me up here to Illinois where it's going to be cold in a few months. And you know what happened? He gave me and my family a divine opportunity to minister and speak in the life of somebody else in a place that a lot of people go, I don't think you ought to be there. Well, I think I was right where God wanted me to be. And if you've got a problem with it, we'll read the Bible together later, okay? Now, if you came looking for the politically correct church, if you're new here, I apologize. We don't do that here. We're just going to tell you like it is, and we hope that... You can appreciate truth, because that's what we're here to do, is proclaim truth. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel. I'm not going to rant. We're not going to turn this into anything else political. I promise. We'll try. We just started a new series about David. And David's one of my favorite Bible characters. I I love um, David's life and studying David's life. He is such a passion for God. But he's also, like, ridiculously human. And if you haven't really read a lot about David's life, you may go, what do you mean he was ridiculously human? He was like you and I. He had really great moments, and he had really terrible moments. As a father, he did some really great things. As a father, he did some really bad things. As a husband, he did some great things. As a husband, he did some really terrible things. Just like you and I. You know, but the Bible still refers to him as a man after God's own heart. And I think the catalyst really for what that is about, one of the things that David's life speaks volumes to you and I that we have got to get a hold of in our own lives is the principle of submission. It's an awful word, I know. It just took the breath out of the room as soon as I said the word submission. You were all happy. You've been laughing about my country story and everything was great. And you're like, oh, this is fun. And then I said the word submission and everybody went, I don't know where this is going, but it's not going to be fun. 
We don't like to submit. As humans, we have this intrinsic desire to be in charge, right? Some of you more than others. Don't show your hands. We already know who you are. Be careful. You might be sitting next to one of them. See? But we have this desire to want to be in control, to, to, to rule things, to, to take charge and to be in charge. And so when we start talking about submitting, we're like, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not there. Not with that. There's certain things that we'll gladly submit to you. But most things we don't want to do it. Why? Because we want to be in control. So let's set up this story. We're in First uh, Samuel chapter number 24. And what's basically happening in this story is Saul has kind of been, you know, if we're playing Survivor, he's been voted off the island. Um, God said, you're going to be king no more. Um, and God has anointed David to be king. And David is kind of in waiting, but while he's waiting, Saul wants to kill him. Well, of course Saul wants to kill him. He's going to be the next king, and Saul kind of wants to be king, right? And so David is hiding, and Saul is trying to find him. Now, David has an army as well, okay, of people that are following him. And Saul is after him and trying to kill him. It sounds like something you would see on daytime TV more than a Bible story, but I promise you it's a Bible story. And so what happens is the, the, the Philistines have attacked again, and Saul is busy in battle with the Philistines, and so there's a break. There's a lull in the action between him trying to kill David. And that's where we find this story. David and his men are hiding in a cave, and opportunity strikes. So let's read together. 1 Samuel chapter number 24, we're going to begin in verse 3. It says, And he, Saul, came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And yes, that's exactly what that means. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. Submission is defined as yielding or giving up one's desires the desires of another. And that's why it's something that is very hard for us as humans to swallow this idea of submitting. Because it means that we have to give up something that we want to do. And we don't like to do that very often. But, but there's a few things that we can learn here today from the life of David that are going to help us on our spiritual journey and on our journey just in life. So David finds Saul in this cave. Or in reality, Saul finds David accidentally. And God has told David that he's going to, to give him his enemies and he's going to deliver them into his hands. And David's men know this. And so here comes Saul. There's no guards. There's no army. He goes into this cave to, to use the restroom and David's like right there. I mean, you could not have a better chance to take this guy out, right? I did tell you, right, that he was trying to kill David. So typically, if someone's trying to kill you, and they come into a place that you could take them out before they take you out, most of us would probably jump on that opportunity, right? I know I'm not alone. It's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. But David doesn't do this. There's something within him that clicks and he goes, I'm not going to do this. He's the Lord's anointed. But, but wait, didn't God already anoint David king? And, and didn't God say that he would deliver his enemy into his hands? It, wouldn't you consider someone trying to kill you your enemy? 
If you consider them friends, I would not want to know what your enemies look like. So here's this golden opportunity. And even the guys that follow him are like, man, the prophecy is coming true. God spoke this and here it is. David should take opportunity, right? No, David doesn't. He cuts off a corner of his robe. Now the reason that that's significant is because kings during this time, every time they would conquer someone, they would cut off the back of their robe and they would sew it onto theirs. And so they would create, like if you were really, you know, awesome, they would create these super duper long trains on their robe and they would just, you know, walk through and if you saw this, like, it keeps coming and it keeps coming and you're like, oh, I don't really want to mess with that guy. He's done a lot of damage. And in the Bible... You know that scripture where it says the train of his robe entered the temple? This is sort of a, a play on words back to that, um, that ideology that people were very aware of, that you could tell how great a king was and how, how you know, much he had conquered by how long his, the train of his robe was. And so that's why this is significant because David cutting this, he's cutting off a piece of Saul's authority. He's cutting off a piece of of Saul's majesty, so to speak, as a king. He's kind of, you know, it's, you know, it's a good little like, I gotcha. It represented Saul's leadership as king. The first thing that we got to take away from this story is this. God's timing is everything. God's timing is everything. Now, we often, we mistake our time and our clock for God's. And we're like, God, where are you? You're late. We were supposed to be here like an hour ago, and you're still nowhere to be found. What's happening? And what happens when we get in that position. When we're in the midst of a trial or we're in the midst of, of it feels like there's adversity around us in our lives and things aren't going our way and we're like, God, like, where are you? Like, God, I need you to take care of this. And we go like, where are you? You're not here. And I, I asked you to be here like, right now. And where are you? And then what happens is we get impatient and we go, well, <laughs> if God's not going to come up, I guess I'll just have to step in and take over. Because after all, we don't want to submit anyways, do we? And what happens when we do that? We wind up shooting three of our tires out with no spare tire, and we're stranded on the side of the road in our lives. We can look at the lives of Abraham and Sarah and see where God gave a promise. And they got tired of waiting. Or they kind of thought maybe God was, you know, off his rocker and didn't know what he was talking about. And so they said, you know what, we can fix this for you, God. Look how that turned out. We're still dealing with that decision today. You understand that, right? That was a really long time ago. And we're still paying the dividends of us trying to do what God is supposed to do. Because we don't understand God's timing and God's will. And we get in the way of what he's trying to do. And you see, Saul's leadership was marked by this. And this is why he ultimately lost his kingship. Just before this has happened, Saul is getting ready to go into battle. And God had declared that Samuel, the prophet, would come in before the children of Israel would go into battle. And he would offer up a sacrifice. And then God would be with them as they went into battle. So Saul's ready to go to battle and Samuel is on vacation. He took the day off. And Saul's going crazy. He's getting impatient. He's like, we got to do this now. We got to do this now. I can't wait. I can't wait. Where's Samuel? And finally he goes, you know what? I'll do it. And so Saul offers up the sacrifice. And God says, nope, that's not how it works. And they were absolutely destroyed in battle. And because of that disobedience, and because Saul constantly said, I don't know if all of you will get this. Some of you will. You're a little bit of a younger crowd. But Saul said, you know, I'm doing it my way. You know, that Frank Sinatra song was written after Saul's life. I did it my way. You know? The first service acted like they didn't know that song either. And I knew that to be untrue. (laughs) They were like, it's a Sunday preacher. We don't sing that stuff on Sundays. And I said, I know every one of you know this song. Stop lying in church. That's worse than singing that song in church. But Saul did it his way. 
every time, time and time and time and time again, Saul said, God, I know how to do this better than you do. And if we really look at our lives, we do the same thing to God all the time. We go, hey, God, I got this under control. Like, I really know better than you do in this situation. So, you know, if you'll just set the next couple plays out, I got it, coach. And then we wind up getting ourselves into trouble. And so because Saul did that over and over and over again, God finally said enough, and he anointed David to be king. We've got to learn to listen and to wait. And so what David does is he, he says, he has this moment in the cave where he stops and he goes, is this the kind of leader that I want to be? Is this the way that I want to enter my leadership? Because if David did this, he was guilty of doing the same thing that Saul had been doing. You're like, but wait, David was anointed king. David was supposed to be doing this. God had de- delivered Saul into his hands, right? No, no, no. See, we're not justified in stepping outside God's context just because it looks attractive for us. You see, the, the thing that David ultimately learned and understood in this is it wasn't just waiting on the Lord, that it was waiting for the Lord. David had been appointed to be king. David had not been appointed to remove the current king. There's a big difference. You understand that, right? It's like when you're in grade school. You remember when you got to be the line leader of the day? That was a big deal. It was a really big deal. My kids come home now, they're like, I was the line leader today? <clears throat> and suddenly, like, everyone is supposed to serve them, like, you know, they were appointed sultan of, you know, a, a very rich oil nation in, in, you know, in the Middle East or something. And, you know, they want gold-plated cars because they were line leader. I can always tell when my kid's day is line leader because he comes home and he's just like, his chest is out and he, you know, he walks, you know, with a little bit of a swagger and he's looking around like, I'm in charge. This way, everybody. <laughs> and so... It'd be like this, right? This is where David is. David's day to lead, to be line leader is tomorrow. There's already somebody leading the line today. And it would be like the kid whose day is tomorrow going, excuse me, everybody. Sorry, it's now Tuesday, it's my day. I'm line leading. It's going to be Tuesday every day. You see the difference? See, David had to serve where he was positioned. He had to find and, and understand that it was not God's timing yet for him to be line leader. He had to wait until it was his day. God didn't appoint David to go, today is the day. And so God tested David's faithfulness and to see how much he could trust him by baiting him, by giving him the opportunity to accomplish the task without waiting and serving where he was positioned. You see, a lot of times we want to escape those hard yard times in our lives. You know, we want to escape the time when we're, someone's trying to kill us. I know I do. If you don't, I, we need to, you need to talk to Pastor Brad and get some professional help because there's something not right there. Um, if you enjoy being chased and potentially killed, I think there's a phobia there. Or there's a mental disorder that happens with that. I don't know what it's called. Um, come on, I want you to kill me or something. I don't know what it's called. Ologist. Um, but you need to get that sorted out. What will you do if someone's trying to kill you? Yes, you run. Man, if someone's trying to kill me, I'm running. That way. If he's there. Right? But David understands that he's got to Wait. God's time. And we do that. We, we, we want to get in a hurry. You know, I, I hate traffic. It's one of the things I love about living here. There's no traffic. <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> I'm like, there's a car. How you doing? I get really impatient in the car, okay? I'm going to just be really transparent with you. Like, really impatient. It's bad. I've taught my kids some bad things in the car. And there's this road in San Antonio that if I talk too much about it this morning, I'm going to break out in hives, um, called 281. 
And when you, when you go north on 281 and you cross this other road, it becomes um, a parking lot of misery where you wait and you wait and you wait and the light turns green and you wait and you wait because there's nowhere to move, there's nowhere to go and you just sit. In fact, we had friends that lived up there and they invited us over. It was like, I'm not going. You can come to my house. I avoided that place like the plague because I would get so mad because I'm impatient in traffic. And a lot of times in life, we're the same way. God speaks. God gives us a directive. We know God's going to do something, and we're kind of stuck in traffic. And we're sitting there tapping the steering wheel, you know, in life, and we're like, come on, God. You can do it. Come on. You can do it. And finally, we're like, move! Nixon learned what the color green was before he could really talk, and all he would do is go, it's green! true story. And that's us to God. We're beating our head on the steering wheel in traffic going, it's green! Why aren't you here? And we've got to learn to wait on God's timing. Because each season that we go through, that God puts us through, is the proving ground for our faith and our submission to God's authority. Jesus said it something like this, if you're faithful with the small things, I will make you Lord over many. You see, we've got to learn to serve where we're positioned. And sometimes your position is not the teacher. Sometimes your position is a student. And how well you are a student is going to show God how well you can be the teacher. I know that's not popular talk here. We, everyone gets a trophy now. It doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. The hard times are the proving ground for your faith and to show God if you can be trusted. Can you be trusted with what God's already given you this morning? Godly reaction. David has a godly reaction, and this shows us how we handle disagreement. Let's pick it up in verse 8, the story. That's the second big thing you want to understand this morning is how to handle disagreement. Verse 8, And he called after Saul and said, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have now seen that the Lord has given you into my hands in that cave. And someone told me to kill you, but I spared you, and I said, I, don't, I will not put my hand out against the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the ancient proverb says, out of wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. And I'm going to tell you something this morning that is so simple. It'll be the simplest statement you've ever heard, but it's the hardest thing when you really start to think about it, and it's going to be tough to swallow. You ready for this? So get out your pens if you brought one or your phones and take this and write this down. You only submit when you don't agree. I'll give you a minute. You only submit when you don't agree. If you agree, we don't call that submission. We call it agreement. And we're all super happy to submit when we're in agreement, right? If you're at work and the boss has the same idea as you, you're like, absolutely. I think it's a great idea. Let's go. But if you have a different idea than your boss, what tends to happen? The water cooler or the coffee looks something more like this, right? Where did this guy come from? Who hired this guy? I'll tell you what I would do if I was in charge. How many of you have ever said that in your life? It's all right. You can raise your hand. You're amongst friends. Everyone in the building said that. 
And if you, if you say that you haven't said that, you're not telling the truth. Well, I'll tell you what I would do. Is, uh, listen, I'm not trying to get into anything, but if, if it was me, if I was in charge, sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter where you work or what you do. That happens when there's not agreement. Why? Because we don't want to submit because we think we know better. We think we've got it all figured out. We think we understand how to do it. But what happens at work when we have to submit? We have to still submit. You ever wonder sometimes why that person is the boss and you're not? Maybe they learned how to submit earlier and the powers that be understood that they could be trusted because they were willing to serve where they were positioned. And the reason you haven't been promoted is because all you're doing is talking all the time about what you would do. People like that go to Washington. That's my last political joke of the day, I promise. <laughs> There's so many, but I won't. Right? Maybe that's why. Maybe God's waiting on you to prove yourself to be worthy. You see how David handles the disagreement? David does like the opposite of what all of us would do. David walks out of the cave right into harm's way. Remember, this guy is trying to actively kill him. David uses the word hunt. And he says, you see, and David's showing Saul the difference between their lives and their leadership. Because David says, you're trying to kill me. You did it your way. And I'm showing you with this corner of your robe that I could have taken you out. That God gave me the opportunity. But rather than putting myself into my own destiny and trying to live in my own timetable and to live in my own time frame and to seize the moment and seize the day, I decided to wait on God to do what God's going to do. And then he bows himself and submits to, Saul, to Saul's authority, even though he completely disagreed with what Saul was doing. Even God disagreed with what Saul was doing. But David understood that it was not his task to remove Saul as king. It was only his duty to enter his kingship properly. Saul's biggest mistake was his disobedience in God's authority. You know, a lot of times if you read during Saul's leadership and you see when he's having a conversation with Samuel, the prophet, that he would always refer to after things started really going downhill for him, he would always uh, refer to God as Samuel's God. He would go, your God, never my God. And it changed from, from God being Saul's personal God and someone that he was serving to the person that Samuel was serving and that Saul was here only to try to reap the benefits of the relationship with God without actually having it but still doing it. You guys are supposed to sing there, but that's okay. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. We've got to learn to serve where we are positioned. Look at how Saul responds to David after David does what he's supposed to do. See, this whole thing was a test. You see, God was testing David's faithfulness to wait and to see if David would truly follow what God wanted him to do. Look at this, verse 17. Saul said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have not declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your hands. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Well, that's a nice little buttoned-up happy ending, isn't it? When you get home, if you'll turn over two more pages, Saul's back to trying to kill him again. And this back and forth goes on and on and on until eventually Saul's done. And so David entered his kingship in the time 
that God had for him. And we have to learn not to rush God's timing because when we try to speed things up for God, we try to fast forward. You know, my son Elijah, he, uh, there's certain parts of movies that he watches that he likes those parts, like in the rest of the movie he doesn't care about. And so, like, all we hear, like, he sees him, like, fast-forwarding, and he watches, like, five minutes of the movie. He's like, next one. And he just fast-forwards to the good part, right? Well, this is the part I like. And we try to do that with God and God's timing and what we want to accomplish in our life. We're sitting there trying to keep hitting the fast-forward button. And God's like, I just need you to wait. Serve where I positioned you. Show me that you can do right here. And then we'll talk about this. But first, I need you to do what you can do. It's because David deferred, which is the last thing that we need to really pick up on here this morning. David deferred to God's judgment and righteousness to prevail between Saul and himself. David deferred his desire to godly submission. And David was actually willing to sacrifice the promise that God had given him to remain in the center of God's will. And that's what we've got to do. How how does this all fit into each and every one of our lives? Monday, and we go to work, and Tuesday at work, and at soccer practice and baseball practice and man we know how some of those parents can be at the baseball field there's a movie it came out I don't know, a few years ago called uh, Bruce Almighty and it's a hilarious movie right about this TV reporter who has this encounter with God and he tells God that he's not doing a great job God by the way is Morgan Freeman so after, if you watch this movie, and after you probably watch this clip, from then on out, anytime you read the Bible and God talks, you're going to hear Morgan Freeman say those words. You're going to be like, hear Morgan Freeman say, let there be light. And it's kind of cool, because Morgan Freeman has a great voice. Um, so I like that narrative in my head. I don't know. We'll see how it works out for you. But Morgan Freeman is God. And so God tells Bruce, you know what? You be God. I'm just going to let you do it. And he's like, this is awesome. And so, you know, he's like changing lights and moving traffic and like parting traffic like the Red Sea, you know, so he can get to work without traffic. I would probably have done the same thing. Um, and, but it gets to the point like where it becomes overwhelming and all these people are praying and he hears all these people's prayers. And so he finally just goes, yes, to all of them. And it creates this just tragic situation, right? And so... After all of this back and forth, and it, Bruce comes to the realization that he just, he can't be God, and he can't do God well. And so I have this clip I want you to take a look at, at the kind of the aftermath of this part, and then we're going to bring this, uh, this little bit home this morning. So watch this. Win. I'm done. Please. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be God. I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will. kneel down in the middle of a highway and live to talk about it, son. But why? Why now? Bruce, you have the divine spark. You have the gift for bringing joy and laughter to the world. I know. I created you. Quit bragging. <laughs> See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the spark. Go ahead. What do you really care about? 
happy. No matter what that means. Now that's a prayer. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm gonna get right on it. That didn't feel very good. Got a rhythm. All right, I got a pulse. All right, let's let him up. Yeah, get the backboard and brace. Bruce. Bruce. Welcome back. You're lucky to be alive, son. Someone up there must like you. See, so Bruce learned to surrender his will. Now, if you do that, you're not going to get hit by a truck unless you're praying in the middle of a highway, which we don't recommend. But the point of that clip is he learned something. He learns that he can't do it without God. And God also tells him that he created him for this purpose, that he was not living up to his potential and to the purpose that God had created him for. And, I, you know, I, although it's comical and, you know, I, I doubt God looks like Morgan Freeman or wears a white suit, um, but there's an interesting thing to take there, to see in that. Number one, I surrender to what you want for my life. And we've got to learn to say that in our lives, to get ourselves out of the way so that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. You see, trust is established through submission. And here's the part where this isn't going to be very fun. We have to submit our will for God's will. And what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your world? Well, some of you have been sitting in these seats for a long time. In fact, some of you have been in the same seat for so long that you kind of have bed sores going on. You're like, you better watch it, preacher. And they're spiritual bed sores. Because here's the thing. God has not called you to come in here and sit and just listen to me. If that's what it's about, then we just need to pack them and go home. I told you earlier, I'm not called to be your spiritual lazy boy. But what you've got to do is there are so many of you in here that God has created you for a purpose. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. And he's placed a call and placed purpose in your life. And all you're doing is sitting. It's time to get up and get out of your chair. Please understand that we're speaking metaphorically, right? Everyone understand that? It's time to get out of your seat and to do something. We talk about the state that our country's in. We see the divisiveness and the things that are happening. There are 40,000 people that live in this community alone, and I guarantee you 80% of them don't know Jesus. And so the point is, what are you doing about it? Apparently we're not doing anything about it. You know why? Because there's still 80% that don't know Jesus. So what do you got to do? Submit. Submit your life to Christ. That's not just saying a little prayer and going, I'll be at church and I'm going to try to do the best I can. That's not what being a Christian is about. You guys look so sad. Don't look at me like that. I'm trying to encourage you. I realize it's not a comfortable encouragement. But here's the thing. We've got to get busy about doing what you were created to do. God didn't create you just to be a nurse. God didn't create you just to be an architect or to be an engineer or to work at Caterpillar or to work anywhere else that you could work. 
be a farmer. God didn't create you just for that. That's what you do to make money to feed yourself. That's not your life's purpose. Your life's purpose is to find yourself in situations every single day where God can use you and you're willing to be used by God. Now it's great that we all have jobs and that we all have ways to feed ourselves and that is important. But that's not who you are. God created you with a greater purpose. God created you to reach somebody in this community. Some of you have walked through things and you've seen God's faithfulness through circumstances and situations in your life that God can use you to speak into the life of someone else. But most of us are too busy going to work, coming home, clicking like on Facebook, watching the dumb people on TV tell us how bad everything is. And then we come in here on Sunday and we're like, we did it, we, we did our thing. We'll see you next week. And we wonder why 80% of our town doesn't attend church. And that's about right, even though 56% of statistics are made up. How do I know this? Because I know what all the churches around here run on a Sunday morning. You know how I know there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus? How many empty seats are in here today? I'm not trying to beat you up this morning, but I'm trying to prove a point. What are you doing for God's kingdom? Who did you bring to church today? Who did you invite to church today? And your family members don't count. I know a lot of you are related. There's a lot of similar last names in the phone book. Are you willing to submit your life for the cause of Christ? Because the Bible said that God was willing that none should perish, right? And so he placed that burden on us to go ye into all the nations and preach the gospel, right? And we've got to start right here in the community that we're called. And so don't tell me all the reasons and all the justifications as to why you're not doing something. Because that we don't want to hear. You know why? Because God doesn't want to hear it. God gave you abilities and talents and callings, and if you search deep within your heart and deep within your soul, you know it's there, and you know what it is. Some of you are teachers in here, and you're not teaching, and guess what you need to do? Get out of your chair and teach. Some of you could be great small group leaders, but you're not leading a small group. You know why? You're sitting in your chair. Get up out of your chair and lead a small group. Some of you could work in the food pantry and help out there. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Some of you have maybe been through a bad relationship and have had a broken marriage and, you're, and God is restored or maybe even gave you a new uh, marriage and made it whole or restored a marriage that was almost broken. Some of you have all kinds of different issues and, and things that you've walked through in your life. And God can use that for his benefit, for his kingdom's glory. But guess what you have to do? Get out of your chair. Tell somebody about it. Do you know how many broken families there are in this community? Do you know how many single moms there are in this community? Do you know how many people within a stone's throw of this building need Jesus? So what we got to do? We got to be about the Father's business. But guess what that's about? It's not me. It's you. My job is just to kick you in the pants. That's it. But you got to get out of your chair to do something. And a lot of you sitting there, you're like, oh, that's great. That's a good word. It hurts. That's a good one. You preach it, amen. Bring God back in America again. And guess what you're going to do? Keep sitting there. But if we're going to see change, if we're going to do something in our community, then guess what we have to do? We have to stand up and be counted for. We have to reach out 
to the hurting. We have to reach out to the lost. And guess what? If you're a single mom, that's okay. God loves you. God wants to do something in your life. And as God continues to do something in your life, guess what you can do? Speak in the life of someone else in a similar situation. Because each and every story in this room, God can use for his purpose. This book is filled with imperfect people, with imperfect lives, who God used for his glory when they were willing to get out of their chair and be used. There's not a single miracle in this Bible that occurred by people standing around and looking. When they got to Jericho, guess what they had to do? March. Guess what they had to do? Scream. Blow trumpets. The Gideon's army, what did they have to do? The list goes on and on. When David killed Goliath, what did he have to do? What no one else in all of Israel would do? Step out and face the giant. We've got to get out of your chair, and you've got to do something for God. Make your life count for something. He's given you purpose. Use your story for his glory. Don't you want to see your community changed? I know I do. That's why I'm here. God didn't call me here just to make me experience snow. Right? I hope not. No. God set us here in this time, in this season, to do what? To change this community for Christ. To take all the, the, the statistics that look like this and turn them upside down and make them look the way they can. There's potential in this room. But potential is just potential. We got to get potential in action. So this morning, we have to be willing to submit. Let's bow our heads this morning. So we don't say all that. I don't stand up here and and say these things to get an amen or to get a hallelujah. I say these things to get you out of your chair. And God, I pray this morning that we would be a church that would begin to stand up. God, that each and every person in here, Lord, you created them and you know the gift and the abilities and the purpose that you've given to them. And God, I pray that all that potential that's combined, that's in here this morning, God, that it could quit just being potential, God, and that it would become action and that it would become results in your kingdom for your glory because that's what you've called us to. If we would just be willing to submit and get out of the way and let you do what you want to do in our lives. And what's amazing is we would begin to see our lives turned right side up. And we begin to see our neighbors' lives turned. We begin to see our church change. We begin to see our community change. And eventually our community can infect the next community and then the next community and then the next community. And we call that revival. And that's when we, we begin to retake and we begin to rekindle what's been lost in our great land. But the only way that we can do that is if we get out of our chair. There's so much potential that God's given in this room this morning. And so we ask this morning, how many of you are willing to get out of your chair and to be counted to do something for, your, for the purpose that God created you for, for his kingdom? If that's you this morning, it's not for me. We're not taking notes. It's between you and God because he's going to judge what you do, not I. If you're willing to stand up and you're willing to be counted for and you're willing to submit and say, God, I will do what you've created me to do. Show me the way. Teach me. Give me the opportunity. God, I'll teach that class. I'll do that small group. I'll work with the kids. I'll do whatever you want me to do, Lord. I'll hand out bread. I, it doesn't matter, God. I'll water the flowers at the church. I'll go hand out uh, coffee and donuts downtown to people working. It, God, whatever it is, I will do it. Just show me what you want me to do. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand this morning as a sign to God that you were willing to do what he's created and called you to do this morning. 
It's between you and God. It's got nothing to do with me. I got both my hands up. God, show me what I can do. How I can be better. God, you've seen every hand that's raised this morning. God, you know the circumstances and the stories of each life, and you know the purpose that you created them for. And God, we know that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think if we let you do what only you can do. And God, we thank you this morning. And God, we stand in agreement with these that have raised their hand. And God, we, it is our goal and it is our mission, Lord, to reach this city and to change it in your name for your glory. Not so first badness can be anything, God, but so that we can do what you called us to do. And you called us to reach the lost, to reach the hurting, to reach the dying, to reach the poor, to reach the destitute, to reach every single person that we come in contact with. And God, we thank you. And we give you praise, Lord, for what you are doing in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.